0: Are you glad to be here today? Good deal. If you will, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're in a summer series called You Asked For It. Um, And this is based on questions that were submitted over the past few months. Just what does the Bible say about certain things? And um, we've discussed the Trinity. Um, Some of them are doctrinal in nature. We've discussed uh, finances. We've talked about debt. Um, how it affects relationships, and what does it mean, you know, to be in debt, out of debt, staying out of debt, what does the Bible say about that, um, and, and we discussed some of the controversial ones where it looks like God contradicts himself, how do you reconcile the Old Testament vengeful eye for an eye God with the New Testament turn the other cheek God, um, and we, we hit that one, and um, so today really wasn't a question asked, but it was a, um, I guess someone sharing their heart uh, about some things that they'd like to see uh, talked about. And so from that, I, I put together a question, but I'm going to read the card first because I appreciate the heart uh, behind, uh, uh, for which it was, it was given. It says, I'm feeling like our walk needs to be challenged. Step on our toes. <laughs> you asked for it. All right. Uh, no, don't mince words. Time is short. I agree with that. Amen. Time is short, and, and church is not always about you know, coming in and just getting the feel-good stuff. We need to hear all of the counsel of God's word. Sometimes those messages are a little bit tense, heavy, and it steps on some toes. And so I just want you to know my promise has always been I'm not afraid. Well, I don't say afraid. I'm willing to um, hit those topics that are not easy. Um, I've never shied away from hitting the topics that God has led me to to do, and so um, that's my commitment to you, to hit on some of those things. If I feel like it's, uh, it's time for us to be challenged, uh, I certainly will follow God's lead in that. It's just so many people think that one hour on Sunday is all of the God that they need in their lives, and I would agree with that statement as well. We need him every day in our lives, amen? Um, and he wants to affect every part of our life. So one of the verses that was um, submitted um, as a suggestion um, is this 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, and reading it and studying it, um, there's one part there that I, I was raised in church, and so uh, I, I just know kind of my personal experience. And there's one that was a little confusing. And so, what I want to do is, I want to read like three verses in the middle of that passage. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to come back and just look at the context and share um, the, the rest of the message with you today. So, uh, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 27, it says, So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord, unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some of have uh, died. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just bring clarity to us today through your word. Lord, our heart is to open, uh, that you would open our eyes and let us behold the truths from your word. Not as we bring it to scripture, but what scripture reveals to us. Um, and Lord, we understand the best interpretation of scripture is more scripture. So it's really the, the whole counsel of your word. Would you please just uh, illuminate these truths for us today as we, we trust you and as we prepare our hearts, Lord, to observe this very special uh, communion. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So. Here's the question I'll put together. What does the Bible, or what does it mean to take communion unworthily? What does it mean to take communion unworthily? We're going to observe communion in a minute. And uh, when I was growing up, uh, there was just this fear of, man, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to take communion. Have you ever felt that way? I'm just not worthy to observe communion today. I'm feeling like I'm, I'm, I've dropped the ball a little bit lately, and now today's communion. I probably need to skip this one. I need to pass this one up and catch the next one because I'm not worthy. Have you ever felt unworthy? Of participating. Anybody else besides me? All right, good. So that's encouraging that, that there are some. I mean, because that's just a normal thought. It's like, I just don't feel like I'm worthy of this. Here's some good news. When Jesus instituted the, the, the Last Supper, at the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, communion, um, they were at the Passover meal and they were in the upper room. And I want you to just imagine for a moment who was at the table with Jesus. These are his disciples who would later would be the apostles of the church, the, the fathers of the church, if you will. And just think about it for a moment. Who was at the table? Judas. What did Judas do? Judas immediately went out after that meal and did what? He betrayed Jesus with the kiss. 30 pieces of silver betrays Jesus. Somewhere around the table, I don't know exactly where he was sitting, was a man named Peter. We all know Peter's story. I'm sure Peter hates that it's recorded in Scripture. He's like, oh, there they go, reading my story again. Peter, you know, uh, Jesus, if everybody else betrays you, I won't. I won't leave you. I'll stay there. And Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And so we know, according to that story, Peter later was confronted, and uh, three times he denied that he even knew who Jesus was. This was someone that Jesus was instituting this new Lord's Supper communion around the table with. And to summarize the rest of them, they would all tuck, tail, and run the moment that Jesus is arrested. So Jesus is surrounded by deserters, betrayers, and deniers. And this group of people who he built the church with, if you look at whether they're worthy, whether they're deserving of what Jesus was about to do for them, I would say probably not. We're in good hands, right? Right? If you consider what Scripture says about us, the Bible says that all of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a standard, and it's perfection. And he says that this mark is so righteous, it's so perfect, and there's no way. We've all just missed the mark. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so um, as it pertains to just perfection, we missed it, We're, we're not worthy. If you consider... All the other passages of Scripture um, that, that just speak of, of who we are outside of the gospel, I think that it's safe to say that no one is worthy of approaching a communion table. But through the gospel, we've been made right with God through Jesus Christ, and he invites us to come to the table. And he says, you know what, I want you all to do this. In fact, this is something the church observes. There's two ordinances that the church is to do um, from now on, and it's baptism and it's communion. In baptism, we recognize that when someone is baptized underwater, it is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And we're identifying with that, saying, hey, the old is gone. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come, right? In communion, we recognize what he did for us in the gospel. Jesus came To the earth, he died on the cross. His body was broken for us. His blood was spilled out for the remission of sins, so that we could be put in a right relationship with God the Father. And we're supposed to observe that regularly. So back to my question: What does it mean to take communion unworthily? None of us are worthy. And to put it another way, none of us deserve what God did for us. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not by works. We can't. None of us get to heaven and go. Well, I deserve. He did it for me because I deserved it. No. No one deserves what he did for us. That's the beauty of the gospel, amen? So what does it mean to be unworthy? So, so it depends on whether that's an adjective or an adverb. Now, please forgive me because I butchered English in school, all right? Um, but if it's an adjective, then it, it's something that denotes a quality of someone or something. It, it just kind of uh, highlights a noun or just kind of expands on that noun. So if it's saying, as a people, they're unworthy, then that's kind of that's scary, but that's not what the word is in the Greek. That word is an adverb, and it means um, that it just basically modifies the verb, an action. So if you're looking at it from a perspective, like we as human beings are unworthy, he says we don't take communion in an unworthy manner, unworthily, then that would be kind of scary, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about an action to approach communion in an unworthy manner. In fact, some of your Bible versions uses that phrase. It says, to, to approach, or it says, um, so anyone who eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, in an unworthy way, and that is more accurate. It's talking about an action. And so as an example, as a negative example, let's go get some context, because it's in the context that we understand what, what's being taught um, here in these verses. We don't want to take just a few verses out of context, uh, we want to look at what's going on. Now what's going on in Corinth is there's this church that Paul planted in his second missionary journey. Um, He was there and he planted this church in a very vile area. Corinth is larger than Athens. It's in Greece. It's a very rich port uh, where all the ships would come in, but it's filled with idolatry. It's filled with all kinds of wickedness, debauchery. And in the middle of that, Paul plants this church. I'm sure it started off great, but over time there were some things, they kind of like a car out of alignment, they were going into the bar ditch, and there were some things that needed to be addressed, and so this letter is corrective in nature. So Paul writes this letter of Corinthians to just basically kind of get on to them, if you will. Now he does commend them in some areas, like you're doing this right, but in this section in chapter 11, uh, verse 17, he says, but the following instructions, I cannot praise you. There's some things that are messed up in the church, and Um, he he goes on to say, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Some of us have probably been in churches like that. (laughs) We gather together and more harm is done than good when we gather. And that's what he's saying to the Corinthian church. He said, hey, more harm is coming from your meeting together than good that's coming from it. Verse 18, he says, first I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that uh, you who have God's approval will be recognized. And what he's just saying there is it's obvious we're living in a fallen world and there's going to be division, there's going to be dissension, um, and what's going to happen when that division rises up, it's going to expose the light, it's going to expose the righteous, and I've seen that. When negative junk goes down, you just start seeing people of integrity rise to the top and go, no, that's not right, and they stand on the truth, amen? And so he says that, that God's appro- those who have God's approval will be recognized. There's this is a huge contrast. In verse 20, he, he gets into kind of what he's talking about with the unworthy manner. He says, When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. So, so just quickly, let me remind you, they didn't do the Lord's Supper like we do it today. Um, we do it in the context of church. and We have those little crackers and those little grape juice, and it's, 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 you know, little pieces, a little cup, and, and just we do it as a family together. But back in the day when they did it, it was surrounded with a meal, an agape meal, a love feast. So they would gather together as Christians, as followers of Christ. They would get together, all of them, like a big potluck. Who loves a good potluck? And so they would get together around a huge meal. And in the context of that meal, maybe towards the end of the meal, they would do the observance of the, of the communion. They would, they would get to that. And all of it was, was meant to just build up, edify, strengthen, and remind the church of the gospel and the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so theirs is in the context of this big meal, and what the problem was is when they were getting together, he said, you're missing the point. You guys are assembling and you're doing the Lord's Supper, but you're not even really paying attention to or interested in what it means, you're, just, you're missing it big time. And so he says in verse 21, for some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. Now as a result... Some go hungry while others get drunk. Now, can you imagine a church service like that, a church fellowship, people showing up to uh, a big old potluck, and everybody brings their stuff, and I don't know what happened in the past. Maybe there were some that didn't have, they would show up, and they would see some of the delicacies that the the rich people brought, and they would just, you know, engorge themselves on, like, this is good wine, man, or this is good food. I don't know what happened, but eventually it got around to where there were schisms or divisions in the church. And so what happened is the rich people would bring, I don't know, their steak and their choice wine to the church fellowship, you know, and the poor people bringing baloney or wieners or something like that, right? And so they're all coming together, or maybe they were bringing this stuff there, and they wouldn't wait for everyone to get there, and they would just start digging in. And so as a result, there were some that would go hungry. Maybe they didn't have to bring to it. Or maybe it was all gone. If you've ever been in a line like that, you see something on the table. You're like, I can't wait till my turn gets up to the line because that looks good. And you get there and it's gone. bunch of gluttons. Makes me mad when I do that. No, I'm playing. So, but you know what I'm saying is, it, it, it's not. You know, maybe it was something like that. But the point was, these guys are getting together for this agape feast. Agape means love. This love feast, and it was just out of whack. It was messed up. And he says, you're in a hurry to eat your meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry and others get drunk. And he goes on to say, what? Don't you have your own homes for for eating and drinking? And then he says, or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What he's saying is, Corinthians, you're meeting and you say you're doing the Lord's Supper, but you're missing the whole point. And in fact, you're doing more harm than good. Because when you get together, nobody's looking out for each other. There's a bunch of selfishness going on, self-indulgence. There's a bunch of people getting drunk. Some are getting left out. I mean, and and, and, and the, all of this is just a shame to God's church. It's a disgrace to God's church, and it's a shame to the poor is what he says. So he says, what am I supposed to say? Do you really? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. So there's the problem, the perversion of the Lord's Supper. So they were doing it, but they weren't doing it right. It was the approach and the... the He says in an unworthy manner, it was the manner in which they were approaching communion is where the rebuke was at. So then Paul transitions in verse 23, and he gives us the purpose for communion. What's interesting about this is the Apostle Paul was not in the upper room. He wasn't in the upper room when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He wasn't there. You remember, he was persecuting the church in the book of Acts, and so he didn't meet with any of the apostles He didn't read their letters because Paul wrote 1 Corinthians before any of the synoptic gospels were written. So he didn't have anything to reference to go back and see, but he says that what he received, he received directly from the Lord. He says, listen, I want to tell you what I received directly from the Lord. In fact, in Galatians, um, Paul hits this. He says, this letter's from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or by human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Later he says, I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. He goes on to talk about how he didn't rush out to the disciples, but three years later he met Peter, and he stayed with him for 15 days, and the only other apostle he met with was James, the Lord's brother, and then 14 years later he goes to Jerusalem. Point being, Paul says, hey, I received what I'm about to tell you. I didn't get it from another gospel Um, I wasn't in the upper room so I didn't hear it then but God showed him revealed to him by revelation the purpose of this communion. So he says for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now I I just got to make this comment this is Um, symbolism, not literally his body. Jesus used a lot of that language in the scriptures. He says, I am the door. It doesn't mean Jesus was a literal door. Jesus says, I am the gate. It doesn't mean he was literally a gate. He's just saying, I'm the way that people have to come in order to be in a right relationship with God. Make sense? So he says, when you take this bread and you eat it, this is my body. He's not saying literally it's my body. It's symbolism. It's symbolism. Just like the ordinance of baptism, it's symbolism. The bread, the cup, the symbolism of the body and the blood of Christ. Are you with me so far? So he says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you do it. You know, there's nowhere in scripture that tells us how many times we should observe communion. Had a young boy ask earlier, why don't we do it every week? I don't have a problem with that. The church is autonomous, they can do each church can do whatever they feel that they to do because Scripture doesn't say you gotta do it every time or every week. He just says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And this is the only place that gives the purpose for communion. Verse 26 is for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. He's saying you're, it's a reminder, you're proclaiming openly what he has done for us. Every time you observe communion, you're saying, hey, Jesus died on the cross. His blood was spilled out for the purpose of our salvation. Every time you do it, that's the purpose. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Church, he is going to come again. That's good news, right? So he says, this is the purpose for communion. It's it's to remind us of what he did for us. Think about the selflessness and the sacrifice of Jesus. When Jesus came, I mean, he was in heaven enjoying a perfect relationship with God the Father, and he left the comforts of heaven, the glory of heaven, to come down to inhabit a body, incarnate, That's what we use the word there, and, and and for the sole purpose of taking the sins of the world onto that body and being nailed to the cross for the forgiveness of sins. That's crazy to me. And that's exactly what he did, and so every time... We partake of communion, it reminds us of this great sacrifice. Now listen, in contrast to that, going back to the first Corinthian church, they were very selfish um, in contrast to Jesus' example of selflessness. There were divisions, chapter 1, chapter 3, again here in chapter 11, just these these schisms within the church, um, and, and, and in contrast to what Christ did through his sacrifice, his sacrifice brings unity once we were far off from God the Father, now through the gospel, we are brought near to Him because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's good, right? And then this, there's this division between Jew and Gentile. He says He's broken down the wall of hostility between us. Now they're just one people. And so there was division, and His death brought unity. Paul went on to say that their meetings were doing more harm than good. The meetings, the agape feast, were meant to build the church up, to edify one another. And there was. Nothing like that happening in that church. And so he was rebuking them for it. It was full of self-indulgence, and then you look at the, just the word agape, that sacrificial, it just, that meal was marked by love, and there was not a lot of love there. That's where the rebuke was at. That's where they were approaching communion in an unworthy manner. Unworthily. it was an action. Does that make sense? So it, it was not that they were worthy, but it was that they were approaching it in an unworthy, they were treating it with contempt. Listen, you can stomp on the American flag, and you're not disgracing the cloth. You're disgracing what it represents. Make sense? And when we approach communion with a wrong heart unworthily, it's not that we're disgracing the elements of bread and, and grape juice, but it is that we're disgracing what it represents the blood and the body of Christ. And he says, we need to be careful how we approach the table. So, anyone who eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily in an unworthy manner, it's all in the approach. Is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. He goes on to say that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. The word "examine" there means to look at critically, searchingly. It is um, to scrutinize one's self. You know, as Christians, we're pretty good at judging other people, but we don't like to judge ourselves. That's exactly what he's saying. Examine yourself. Judge yourself. Look internally at your own life. Scrutinize yourself searchingly, critically. Examine yourself before you approach the table. It says, for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring, that is discerning what it means, the, the, the body of Christ, what it represents, the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment. Um, I think King James uses the word damnation. I think it's a little too strong because it's talking about a disciplinary action and a chastisement, not a loss of salvation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Right? So he says they're bringing God's judgment upon them because they're approaching unworthily, in an unworthy manner. And that's why some of you are weak and sick and some of you have even died. There's a lot of things going on in the church that says you guys are messed up and you're approaching this the wrong way. But he says, but if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, verse 33, so my brothers my dear brothers and sisters when you gather for the Lord's Supper wait for each other so there it is again it's like bookends he starts with here's the problem you're showing up and you're ignoring everybody else there's totally not love going on it's just selfish indulgence totally missing the main idea of what we're here for and he says you're just running ahead of everybody else and leaving them without some going hungry some going drunk and at the end of the passage like another bookend he says when you get together just wait for each other if you're really hungry eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. So this is a corrective letter, and this is an area in public worship where they were abusing, they were missing the whole idea of the Lord's Supper. Now, I said a little ago, we do it differently today. We don't associate uh, communion with a meal. Um, But in the same way where they missed it, I think we could still miss it too. And and what I mean by that is, have you ever harbored unforgiveness in your heart? Have you ever hated another brother or sister in Christ? Have you ever been divided in your own heart? We may not be coming to a a legit meal, but we can approach the table with those things, and it almost makes a mockery of what Christ taught us, right? When he says, hey, I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to take care of the needs of those around you. Just care for one another, love one another. And Jesus gave us all these teachings, and then we approach the table like it's no big deal and it's cool for me to come in and and hate your guts or to hate your guts and and, and to just be outright rebellious in whatever he's taught us, I would say that is a dangerous place to be. In that regard, it's examine ourselves. So when we approach communion, it's to look back at what he did for us. And aren't you grateful when we look back at what the gospel said that happened to Jesus for the benefit of our salvation? That's good news, right? We look back. We also look forward to the promise. One day he's gonna return again. And, man, we're going to be with him for eternity. We look forward. But there's this this idea here that I think the church could stand to learn, especially in today's culture, is to look inwardly. It's to look inwardly and say, all right, God, look, I already know I'm not worthy. None of us are worthy. But through the cross, I've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you encourage me to come. So how do I approach this thing that we call communion? Do I recognize what it is? It should be a somber thing. We, we approach this. It's not a party. It's not like a flippant, hey, this is cool. It is a very serious thing where we're recognizing the body and the blood of Christ and what he did for us. In addition to that, inwardly, we're saying, all right, God, I don't want to play the game because everybody, you may fool everybody, but you can't fool God. And when we approach him and we know that we're in just outright disobedience, to some of the things that he commands us, in the context of a family, there's division, factions, anger, frustration, unforgiveness, and all those things, would be to approach in an unworthy manner. And so for us, it would be a great opportunity to say, All right, God, this is serious. And it is special. And we are to protect. He encourages us to, but let's don't do it lightheartedly. Let's make sure that we understand what we're, what we're focusing on, and let's just do an inward check of our heart. And God, And man, I mess up all the time. And it's not about what you did yesterday. You're like, well, wait till next week and I'll be all right. But no, it's not about that, but it's the approach. It's here. It's right now. It's what's in your heart. Are we willing to acknowledge his teachings? He says, look, I want you to love one another because the point for them was they were in Corinth, a very corrupt area, and he wants them to be the salt and the light. And they were making a mockery of the church with these love feasts that had anything to do but love. And then we're missing the whole point of communion. I think the same thing is true in the context of the local church. We got to be careful in understanding that God is calling us to walk together in unity. Unity is beautiful. Do you understand that? How beautiful, how precious unity is to God. I've said that from the pulpit over the years many times. I said, I would rather have a church of 20 that's unified than a full church with factions and divisions because God honors unity, He does. And so, just to search our hearts and say, "All right, God," as we approach, have Joy lead us in a song, and I'm going to have the, the deacons come and prepare to hand out the elements. But I just want us to take this moment to, having having heard the scripture, understand the context of what's being taught there, to search our own hearts and say, "All right, God," I, I want to recognize what we're doing here. This is special. Is this a special moment? And to recognize um, the purpose of communion, <clears throat> that we are proclaiming what He did for us but to also take it in a worthy manner that is our approach to say, um, Lord, I don't want to be in outright rebellion if God reveals to us things. I mean, I leaned over to my wife before and I said, hey, Rick, are you and I good? And I know we are. I mean, I, I just, we're, we're just in a good spot, but I just like, hey, babe, are we good? Are we good? Because I wouldn't want any of that stuff. I, well, I don't want to play the game. I'm getting up here talking to you and then my life's a mess. Maybe you're on the way to church this morning and had a really n- nasty fight with your spouse. This might be a great opportunity to go, hey, sorry about that, you know? Or the kids, it's always the kids, right? Or there's division or there's some, some tension between you and someone else. This is the opportunity where God reminds us, hey, in, in, introspectively look into your own lives. Examine yourselves before, and then we can approach the table with humility, with confidence, but we can take and observe in a worthy manner. Amen? I mean, I'm going to have the guys come forward and pass out the elements, and then we'll come back and observe together. Father, today as we come to your table, Lord of communion, where we remember the sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, we are uh, understanding of the the seriousness of the moment and just thankful for what you've done. We, by observing, proclaim your death, Uh, Lord, and we continue to do that as an observant until you return. And, And we just thank you that because of your sacrifice, once and for all, we've been made uh, right through the gospel. And so today as we take the bread and we take the cup, I pray that we would um, be grateful in our hearts and, and mindful of what it represents as we thank you for, for both. Lord, in this time, Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me to so look back at what he's done for us. Let's take the bread. Jesus said this, a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's do this in his remembrance. The scripture says there's no one righteous, even on our best days. The Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to him. So we never on our best day are worthy enough, deserving of what he did for us. But the good news is he loved us enough that he did it anyways. Amen? Aren't you grateful for the gospel? Amen, let's pray and dismiss. Father, thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that your word makes it clear that it is not by works, but it is your grace. By your grace that we're saved, not by works, so that we can't boast about it, we can't brag about it. We understand that there's nothing that we can do to be in right relationship with you other other than through the gospel of your son, Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of not just the communion and what it represents, but the inward aspect of it. That we ask ourselves the deep questions, are we really mindful of living out this life, as Ephesians four one says, worthy of the calling that we've been called to? Do we understand that you're committed to our sanctification? You want us to grow in our faith, and so when you say love your neighbor when you say forgive one another carry one another's burdens lord do we see those things in our own hearts do we take those serious or do we just kind of stuff them in the back of our mind and just go on as though nothing ever happens lord i pray that you would just bring those things to mind in our heart because you want us to be serious about our faith serious about our love for one another and so god i pray that you would just grow us in our faith today challenge us in our walk as we leave this place thank you for as i said earlier the the privilege that we have to meet here without fear of persecution Lord that we can meet and sing songs of praise open up this Bible your word to us and learn your truths I pray that you would just help us to hide those truths in our hearts and to let those words impact our lives in a way that it's not just words that we're hearing but it's words that we put into action in our own lives uh, Lord that we live a life worthy of that calling Lord, we ask it humbly in Jesus name Amen